You know, there's a joke going around Twitter these days, and it says, we're all about to find out which meetings really could have been emails. Taking work home with us. That's on this episode of the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. All right, welcome in to another episode of the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. Coming to you live from remote locations because this is the new normal at least for a couple of weeks anyway uh we have to follow the same council that everyone else does and record our podcast via zoom everybody should have bought stock in zoom i would think at this point to uh <laughs> to uh get an advantage as we all transition to working from home uh, i'm your host marty carpenter joined today by podcast co-host regular and friend of the pod all things in one dan schuyler from valcom dan how are you I'm doing good, Marty. Uh, nice to be nice to be on the uh, the podcast. Um, all things considered, um, I'm doing good. It's been a it's been a crazy week. So tell me, are, where do we find you today? Are you uh, part of the workforce transition to home, or are you still a, an office goer? I'm doing a little bit of both uh, right now. I'm actually working from home. Yeah, yeah. How's the transition been to you? Do, you? do you work from home a lot normally? I don't know that I've ever asked you that. I, I presume you get that chance every now and then. Uh, normally I don't, but I do have the opportunity to work from home every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, I have a home office and then go to a lot of clients myself as part of my normal work routine. So the work from home thing to me, uh, like I got on that bandwagon before it was forced on everybody. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So I, I, I mentioned that just to kind of give people the setup. The audio from uh, the podcast when we do it uh, over uh, over the internet like this, not quite as good as when we're in person and have the nice microphones in front of us, but still uh, a good way to work around the, uh, the uh, prohibitions of large gatherings and just the, the general effort to get some social distancing in there. Um, okay, so this is a, a good topic, I guess, um, the good way to set up that not only are we working uh, remotely to put this podcast together. Uh, but a lot of people are doing that right now. Uh, and I think that's a, a significant transition for a lot of people, Dan, but I also know there are people who've uh, you know been able to dip their toes in that water a little bit and those who have made it the norm. Um, how do you think businesses, uh, you obviously have a lot of clients who are helping people kind of transition to this very quickly uh, and, and have some different levels of familiarity with it. Uh, how do you think the, tr the, the rapid transition has gone so far? Are most businesses adapting adequately? Well, for a large number of businesses that already have uh, a remote working environment or have workers that, are rem that do work remotely, um, I think this, this transition is more of a capacity issue and just getting up to speed and getting the, the majority of their, their workers uh, up to up to speed with regards to a remote working environment. We're seeing a large uptick in uh, requests for hardware and all the components of a remote working environment. So the hardware that's necessary, uh, VPNs, um, the, the uh, laptops, huge, huge uh, increase in demand for laptops, and then the audio video hardware, the headsets, et cetera, et cetera, the webcams, anything else that's that necessitates uh, a remote working environment. There's just been a huge uptake. For the smaller organizations that don't have a remote workforce, this has been a little bit of a struggle for a couple of reasons. One, they don't know exactly what they need in order to establish uh, a remote workforce. 
uh, and then they they have to of course order all of the hardware uh, and all of the uh, all the equipment in order to um, establish that remote workforce. So for the for the larger businesses, it's just more ramping up and getting the hardware. For the smaller businesses, it's more of a learning experience what they need to do, how they need to facilitate it. And then of course, and we, we can touch on this, the, the security concerns that surround a remote workforce environment. Yeah, yeah, I definitely wanna get into that topic, but first I'd like to just give it your sense, I guess, on uh, I, I, the way I was thinking about this the other day is, you know, some, some let's say you're in an office that uses uh, Microsoft uh, and you've got your people who know how to use Word and Excel and PowerPoint and so on. And then there's that thing in there like Teams, that they may never have used. And there's some of these, these apps that they might not use. For a lot of these businesses, was it they had some of the tools in place that they just weren't utilizing, uh, and so they had to get up to speed, or in some cases was, or in, in more cases was it that uh, they just didn't have anything in place to let them kind of uh, jump into this, this new uh, paradigm? Well, I think, I think it's fair to say that there's a significant number of organizations out there that are using Microsoft Office and and have access to Teams. And Teams is a relatively intuitive application to use. It doesn't doesn't take uh, it doesn't take an expert to to launch Teams and figure out how to start communicating with your coworkers. I think one of the biggest hurdles is getting up to speed with requirements around VPNs. Again, the hardware, the client software that needs to be installed on. Uh, the endpoints or the laptops that the employees need to use, logging into the VPN, uh, and then some organizations are going to use the uh, remote desktop protocol, and then there's some there's similar configuration issues and uh, usability issues that are associated with that as well, and getting employees up to speed on, on how to use remote desktop, how to log in, et cetera, et cetera. And then from the employer standpoint, making sure that you've, uh, implemented and installed a secure networking environment to support that uh, remote workforce environment. Dan, understanding that all these businesses sort of start in different places, um, what's what's the advice that you find yourself giving to them over and over again as they have to jump in to this transition and, and do it relatively quickly? Is there something you're seeing with uh, with many of them where you can say, look, I know this is challenging, but here's some advice. Here's something I've learned from uh, from having helped a number of companies through this in the last couple of days. Well, I think it's just making sure that they understand the requirements for establishing a remote workforce environment. And we've we've touched on some of those things: the the hardware requirements, the the software requirements. Uh, in addition to Microsoft Teams, you have Zoom, which you and I are using right now to yeah. uh, record this this podcast. Then there are products from Cisco and other vendors out there that are that employers can use and leverage to uh, establish a remote workforce environment and have uh, you know webinars and video conferencing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's just it's just educating those employers on what's available uh, from, a, again, a hardware and a software perspective, and then how to use them efficiently, and then also how to secure those uh, environments so they don't have any uh, issues. Who's having a tougher time with the transition? Is it the, uh, the management side trying to get the right pieces in place, or the, the actual employees who are, are uh, having to kind of uh, adapt new practices? Do you get the sense that 
management has a tougher time or leadership has a tougher time putting the systems in place and their employees are kind of chomping at the bit like, come on, let's go. I'm, I can do this. We can figure this out. Or is it the reverse of that or, or maybe neither? From an employee perspective, I think it's just the um, it, maybe the only issue is just setting up that environment at home. So making sure that you've got a good network connection, a good Wi-Fi connection, so you're not getting any interruptions in the audio or video, making sure that you have the right software configured correctly. Uh, making sure that you have the right hardware, so the the microphone and headsets, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, from a management perspective, I think it's really just it's it's the challenge of um, of fulfilling that need from a hardware and software perspective. Again, we're we're seeing a huge uptick uptick in requests for laptops and video conferencing hardware. Uh, so from a management perspective, I think that's their challenge, just making sure that they can get their hands on that hardware. And then from the employee perspective, it's just making sure that they understand and can adapt to that remote working environment. Uh, I want to talk about security after we take this quick break. We're back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valk. Allowing your employees to bring in their own devices is like allowing them to bring in a security time bomb to your workplace. So how do you take the burden of onboarding so many new devices off your IT department without sacrificing security or policy enforcement? Look no further than Aruba ClearPass. ClearPass allows you to safely connect business and personal devices to your network in compliance with your security policies. It allows you to allocate access to devices based on users' roles, device type, and cybersecurity posture. At Valcom, they're all about saving you time while still protecting your privacy. Dismantle your time bombs at vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. That's vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. You know, I've yet to meet an IT professional who loves waiting hour upon hour to diagnose the problem with your server. They just don't care for it. The good news is they don't have to. Hewlett Packard Enterprises' new info site for servers provides continuous proactive health monitoring and recording for thousands of system parameters 24-7 right on the server. InfoSight then derives insights from the behaviors of the install base to provide recommendations to resolve problems and improve performance. It learns as it goes. Let Valcom help you not only save time, but also your sanity by visiting vlcmtech.com servers. That's vlcmtech.com servers. This season of Cyber24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and service provider with the drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. At Valcom, you get much more than just a dedicated IT retailer. They actually become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and productive. Check them out, vlcmtech.com, to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcmtech.com.
Welcome back to the Cyber 24 podcast uh, presented by Com. Dan Schuyler from Valcom and Marty Carp with you from our separate locations uh, via Zoom recording, which I've actually found is kind of a nice way to uh, work around the uh, restrictions on being in large places and going to buildings that may or may not be open where we normally record. Um, talking today, though, Dan, about uh, uh, everyone shifting to sort of working remotely where possible. And, uh, and you touched on this a little bit in the first segment. I wanted to spend some good time on it. So uh, that's the topic of security. And I think that there's a real vulnerability here because a lot of businesses are going to rush to uh, get their workers where they can continue to be productive uh, from their homes or somewhere other than the office. And that usually comes with the, the mindset of productivity first, and they don't necessarily think about the security concerns. So what are some of the things that a business uh, either should be thinking about or that you've been advising uh, clients about? as uh, as you've gone through this process, particularly this week while everyone's uh, in this in this transition well the the inherent flaw built into a rem- you know expanding remote workforce environment is you're increasing the attack surface for uh, hackers and uh, they're going to try to exploit this um, I, I don't I don't think they're going to be altruistic and and uh, sit out on the sidelines <laughs> until, until this blows over. I think they're going to look at this as an opportunity. Um, and so to your point, there's a couple of ways, and we, we talked about this for uh, from a technology perspective for establishing uh, a remote connection uh, for your remote workforce environment. One is through a VPN or a virtual private network, and I won't get into the, the technical nuances, but simply it's, a, it's an end-to-end uh, connection that's, that's secured through uh, encryption from, from the employee's computer to the uh, business's network. In that respect, you, you have a pretty high level of confidence with regards to security. Now, the, the, one, of the, um, one of the weak points is the authentication process. And so my recommendation is to make sure that you have a VPN solution that not only requires a username and password, but also uh, requires a second factor or multi-factor authentication. And we've, we've talked about this numerous times on your show. But one thing that I, I really want to make clear is that if you're going to institute and enable multi-factor authentication for your VPN, and you should, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you absolutely should, then you should do it throughout your entire organization with all your accounts, both online and off. Because if a hacker understands that uh, a remote connection has two-factor or multi-factor authentication associated with it, they then have the opportunity, if they've guessed your username and password, to try to, to try to attack other accounts that you have that may not have two-factor authentication enabled. So if you're going to do it, do it across your entire environment, across all your applications and accounts to make sure that you've reinforced um, your your security across your organization. So from a VPN perspective, you know, strong password, enable two-factor authentication. And then the other way is through remote desktop protocol, which uh, does have some inherent weaknesses built into it. But again, that's more around the authentication process. But some of the recommendations, again, strong password, multi-factor authentication, um, NLA, which is network level authentication, should be enabled. And then 
other other things to consider uh, remote access uses port uh, 3389 so you don't want to expose port 3389 uh, out to the to the wild because that's what hackers are looking for they're scanning all IP addresses looking for port 3389 because they know that's the remote access port and if they find an open port they'll start an attack so you you, you want to make sure that you don't expose port 3389 uh, to the to the wild um, um, and then other things too, like I mentioned, strong passwords, multi-factor authentication, make sure that you have your remote desktop server, uh, the security protocols reinforced uh, and enabled on your remote desktop server so that uh, when your employees are connecting, they're connecting securely. And one thing to also remember as your remote workforce increases and the number of connections increases you want to make sure that you have the right hardware and bandwidth to support that increased demand on your network for that remote workforce um, for a business leader who's listening to this uh, and, and maybe has taken that step to say okay I've got my workforce where they can you know, they can all work from home and we can be productive and we've got a video messaging system set up and all these things but but in listening to this goes oh you know what I have probably gotten out ahead of my skis when it comes to security I haven't uh, haven't really thought about that much um, and maybe you know the, hopefully if that as that realization hits them they're still lucky enough to have not been hit with anything but give me a sense of how long it takes for you know a, a business of any particular size you choose the example size um, to get set up if they if they feel like they've kind of taken steps toward working remotely but haven't really considered any of those security precautions you just outlined well, again, in addition to the recommendations I've all, all already men mentioned, you want to make sure that all your employees' uh, endpoints, laptops for sure, because if we're a remote environment, I'm sure we're going to be using laptops, that each one of those devices has endpoint security enabled, so anti-malware, anti-virus. Uh, certainly, you want to make sure that, that, that all of those devices have next-generation uh, behavioral-based anti-malware solutions installed to protect, to protect those endpoints. But for an organization that needs to get a number of employees up and running in a short amount of time, one of the best ways to do it certainly is to create a, an, an image file of all of the applications that your employees are going to need on that device, including the endpoint uh, security applications, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and create that disk image. Uh, well, disk image. Let's we'll, we'll call this an image that you're going to have on a USB drive, and then you would you would um, create that image for that particular device, and then you could do that one after another quickly, so you're not having to manually install all the software. You know, most. Most organizations use Adobe Reader. Um, I'm sure they, they've got a web browser installed. They've got some other applications. Again, off, a lot of organizations are using Office 365. You don't have to install those applications manually, so you can do that by creating an image that will uh, expedite that process uh, so you can get those remote workers up and running uh, in an in a, in a expeditious amount of time. Yeah, and important to keep track. I mean, as things move quickly, it's important to keep track of who suddenly has permissions for what and what device they've been given and what that device has on it or has access to. 
yeah, you want to keep an inventory of all the devices that you've you've sent out the door and who has those devices, uh, certainly. So you want to keep track of of that and and you know what level of authentication do they have? Are you giving them access to certain areas of your network, certain servers, certain file shares? So you want to make sure you keep track of again to your point, Marty. Who has, who has that authentication, who has those devices, and what, what do they have access to? You just don't want to give them a laptop that has access to your network and, and just send them out the door. You want to make sure that you have a complete inventory and you're tracking those, those workers and what, what, uh, what access they have and, and uh, what authority they have to access specific um, areas of your network. Yeah, and you probably also want the ability to know where those devices are, or more importantly, to uh, wipe them remotely if uh, if they're lost. You just you're losing a lot of control by things being outside of the building, and so that's something I imagine that you're advising people to to factor in as well. Yeah, so good point. Mobile device management is going to be key. Um, certainly, there are several different mobile device management uh, solutions out there, but uh, there are some that. Uh, to your point, give you the ability to wipe the entire device should it become compromised, whether it's a smartphone, whether it's a tablet or a laptop, uh, those MDM solutions allow you to do a couple of things. One, ensure that that device has uh, the property, proper security protocols in place. It also ensure that that device is updated with the with the most recent um, security patches and OS updates. It'll also make sure that device is encrypted. And then, to your point, Marty, if that device gets compromised, stolen, or lost, you can then send a send a command to wipe that device completely. So that's a good point. Mobile device management in this remote workforce environment is going to be an important component to consider. Yeah, a whole lot of things to think about. A tough time to be, uh, you know, the business leader or the head of IT for a company and have a lot of things to keep track of as you're trying to uh, sort of race against time to make sure your business stays productive. One last question as we wrap up for you, Dan. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that there are people who are pretty comfortable working remotely, um, some who do it almost exclusively, some who do it a little bit, and then some who this is sort of their first foray into that world. I wonder, from your perspective, do you think this will be a turning point in the way the workforce operates that after sort of a forced two, four, six, eight weeks of this, whatever it may be for any individual company, is, is this the tipping point where we start to realize hey, we don't have to be in the office all the time and businesses maybe start to think about, hey, there were some advantages to this and we could cut our overhead costs on number of offices we need or amount of electricity we use at our office space and so on. Do you think this is potentially a tipping point and a change in, in the way the workforce embraces remote work going forward? That's a great question. And I can give you an anecdotal perspective on that. I was meeting with a client. They have oh, a couple thousand employees and they had uh, unopened uh, laptops stacked to the ceiling, uh, unopened um, headphones and microphones stacked to the ceiling. They were uh, they were ramping up their remote workforce. They were moving their thousand employees to a remote workforce environment, and they said, "If this works, they don't ever anticipate coming back to that building." So that may be an exception to the rule, but to your point, Marty, if 
organizations see efficiencies in this type of environment, I think we may see a lot of, and this, this may not be a good thing, a lot of empty real estate in the near future that was occupied by employees who are now working remotely. Yeah. Now, there, there are some inefficiencies in a remote workforce, and we don't need to talk about those now, but I think it's going to be on a case-by-case -case basis. But to your point, I think we will see uh, numerous employers evaluate, should we do this long-term uh, and not go back to that on-premises uh, type of environment? Yeah. Well, I can tell you from my personal experience, once you trade in your commute and fighting traffic for walking across the hall and turning on your computer, uh, it's really hard to go back, I imagine. So uh, I'm a big fan of the work from home thing. And I, uh, I just think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with these companies uh, when we get uh, past the, uh, the few weeks that we uh, may have to be in this uh, situation related but, to the uh, COVID-19. Yeah. But I did talk to a coworker who said they can't wait to get out of the house and back to work. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> People might really like the working from home thing for the first couple of days and then maybe not so much. It's important to remember the kids are often at school when you're working from home and that's not the case in Utah uh, and certainly in other places around the country, but here in Utah. Right exactly. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for taking some time to, uh, to walk us through some of the things that business leaders and policymakers and others need to be thinking through when it comes to uh, security and just the, uh, the viability of uh, the, the, the actual ability to have a remote workforce. Um, interesting times that we're uh, going through here. And I hope, uh, hope you're doing well. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, Marty. And we did cover a lot. So if anybody has any questions, please feel free to, feel, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, VLCMtech.com, is that where they need to go? That's correct. All right, VLCMtech.com, that's Valcom's website. Go take a look there. Uh, for Dan Schuyler, Marty Carpenter, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom. Cyber24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support.